and welcome to Stories from the Ridge, Macaulay's podcast series. I'm Lee Burns, head of school, and today I'm pleased to welcome to the studio a good friend and fellow alumni of the class of 1987, Dr. Jay Wellens. Jay is one of the most respected pediatric neurosurgeons in the country, and now with the publication of his first book, All That Moves Us, has become a well-respected writer. In addition to the book, you might have read his essays in the New York Times, Garden and Gun Magazine, the Nashville Tennessean, and other publications. Jay holds the Cal Turner Chair and is the Chief of the Division of Pediatric Neurosurgery at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. In mid-November, Jay returned to the Ridge to meet with students, faculty, and even some old, yes I said old, fellow members of the class of 1987. He spoke with and met both science and English classes and spoke in chapel. In fact, his chapel talk was so moving we're attaching a link to it in the description to this podcast. I think you'll agree with me after listening to this podcast discussion in Jay's chapel talk that he is a man who embodies our ideals of honor, truth, and duty, the best of Macaulay. Let's join Jay in the studio. Today, it's a pleasure to have in the studio Jay Wellens, my classmate, my friend, an alumnus who's done great things with his life, most importantly, as a man of honor, truth, and duty. It's made a positive difference in the world. Jay just spoke to our students in chapel a few moments ago, and how it's so wonderful, Jay, to have you back on campus. Came to Macaulay um, as a boarding student from Mississippi in the mid-1980s. Tell us, first of all, how did you get to Macaulay? Well, Lee, I just want to say that um, what a wonderful opportunity it is to visit today. I've had such a terrific time so far and um, doing the chapel talk, you know, first time in the chapel really since 1987 was just, uh, it's been walking down memory lane. I'm, I'm having, I'm being flooded with memories, so I've got to jot them down before I forget because um, there's so many things to think about. But, um, you know, I think um, I remember well, there was a, um, a family in my small town of Columbia, Mississippi, um, 6,000 in the town, about uh, 10,000 in the county. And uh, one of their boys had gone to Macaulay. And um, I had been at a school for many years, you know, from um, basically first grade through 10th grade is when we kind of started talking about doing it. And um, you know, I was the third child. Uh, I had two sisters that were um, off to college pretty quickly uh, when I was um, in the third or fourth grade, and so to some extent, I was um, I was a um, you know a, a single you know single child, even though I had these great sisters that would come home from time to time. But uh, I really enjoyed my parents. Um, my dad was a pilot in the Air National Guard, but also. He um, was part of the business world, and my mom was very involved in the Episcopal Church, and um, and so it was a big decision, you know, for me to leave. Um, but we sat down as a family and in a very adult way, just talked about the benefits that I would that would most likely be imparted to me. Um, and um, one was the academic challenge, which um, I could feel that I needed. Um, but also, um, I needed to be socially matured some as well. You know, I think that, um, sometimes when you're in the same place for a long time, you get placed in a rut and the opportunity to come to Macaulay and make new friends and, um, kind of add things to your personality and subtract things for your personality. That was an incredibly 
important thing for me too. Um, the friends that we made there, I like to say there's little bits and pieces of them and me um, when I would find a characteristic that I liked. Um, so I think um, that was kind of the un, the untold benefit or the unknown benefit. I think the known benefit was let's do what we can. Let's, you know, kind of say, yes, we've had a wonderful time, but this is, um, this is time for you to go and time for you to challenge yourself and time for you to, uh, to make this kind of Kierkegaardian leap of faith. And so now you're one of the leading pediatric neurosurgeons in the world, leading the Department of Vanderbilt, all kinds of national and international acclaim in your field. An author um, published pieces in the New York Times, Garden Gun, have a new book that just came out. So how do, how do you get from your student at Macaulay to what you're doing now? And what's the why behind what you're doing? Well, that's a great question. I am... Um, you know, in standard um, 19-year-old college student, slightly long hair, Birkenstock-wearing fashion, um, I decided that there were three basic states of man. You know, here we go. Um, uh, there was the physical. There was the mental, uh, which I kind of characterized really in my brain as the um, educational. And then there was the spiritual. Um, and I remember thinking that there were fields that catered to those particular areas. So obviously the physical is being a doctor, the mental or educational is being a teacher, um, and um, the spiritual is being a priest. And, um, you know, I balanced um, the first two for quite some time. I um, had been interested in being in medicine. My, my father, um, I talk about him some in the book, had this very successful career in the military and also in the business world that briefly entertained going back to, to medical school. He got into medical school, but at the time um, just didn't have the financial funds to be able to afford it. And so I used to joke that he whispered it into my ear at night, you know, physician medicine, you know, <laughs> um, but I wanted to do it on my own terms. I wanted it to be because I decided to do it. And so I balanced the world of, being an English major and learning how to write and thinking about the world through um, the words that other people had written and how to interpret it into words that perhaps I could write. But also I had one foot in the physics and microbiology and all the classes to take. And I actually had decided that I would go to medical school and I would become a family medicine doctor. Um, and I would almost be like William Carlos Williams, you know, I would, I would write, um, I would get, you know, paid in chickens and tomatoes and go deliver the occasional baby, you know, Mabel, boil the towels, there's a baby coming, you know, because um, that's what I'd seen in my small town of uh, Columbia. Um, but, um, but obviously that changed when I got to medical school. Um, but, but underlying all of it, I do think was this desire to have service, you know, to your fellow man. I think that's important to me. Um, you know, you, you and I have, had late night conversations about the term duty and how, you know, duty is like many words is a word that can be abused. Um, but it's also a very strong word when you start thinking about our responsibilities to one another. And I think we're called in our religion um, and not just Christianity, uh, but other religions around the world as well to help one another. Um, and whether that's through, I wrote a little bit about this and ironically the, the garden and gun, um, um, essay, but you know, whether it's taking out a brain tumor in a seven year old girl or being a camp doctor for the weekend and helping take ticks off and, you know, 
put some neosporin on scrapes. It is, it is really about helping other people. And I think that's been something that over the course of my career has been just a driving force for me. What have you learned about yourself through your career in medicine and then more particularly through writing this book? Well, that's a great, great question. I think that um, what I've learned is that um, there are at least two parts of me. Um, and what I mean by that is I think there is, you know, it's funny, I, I look up at these, these two on the Tornado Talk Macaulay School poster. There's a poster here with a picture of two boys um, that are doing a podcast. And, you know, there's the part of me that's, that's very driven. There's the part of me that wants to excel. There's the part of me that's like, I won't just be a doctor. I'll be a surgeon. I won't just be a surgeon. I'll be a neurosurgeon. I won't just be a neurosurgeon. I'll be a pediatric neurosurgeon, and I'm going to do fetal surgery. And I'm going to be president of neurosurgeons when I'm 53. So there's this, and, and I want to be, um, I want to form a division of neurosurgery at Vanderbilt. I want to, I want to get the best partners. And, and, you know, I want to help them in any way that I can. And I want to set up research for people to help them be successful. And I want to help the residents be successful. I, I like that. that. That's part of me that's driven, but it's also over the years driven to help other people. So I think that's kind of using something that could potentially go too far, but help other people with it. So there's that part of me. And then there's the other part of me, I think that is a little bit less driven and more about grace. And as the years have gone by, um, that drive has put me in situations by helping people or working with other people or being influenced by people like my amazing partners or nurse practitioner that I work with that are friends and partners, you know, where I realized that I've seen, you know, I've seen grief and joy, you know, like, you know, like I've said before, they're, they're inseparable twins. They come together, happiness, sadness. Um, you know, I often say that, there's more entreaties to God from the um, cafeteria of a hospital on a regular day oftentimes than on a Sunday morning, right? Um, but I think that these opportunities to be a bear witness to the human condition or to bear witness to grace has helped the second part of me grow. And as I move into this next part of my life, and um, I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity, and I recognize how many people have helped along the way to allow this, this book to move forward. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to have written and to talk about these children, a little bit about myself, but some about the people who have taught me, some about the people that I've taught. Um, but I'm just really grateful for the opportunity for that, that grace part of me to be able to, to take the mic, to take the wheel, just a little bit. Talk a little bit about what the children, what they taught you, what they said to you what they've shared in the book that you've written? Yeah. Um, well, there's just so many, um, there's just so many examples, you know, for me, it's this, um, you know, you have these moments with the children, but you also have these moments with the parents. Um, and, um, and sometimes it's what impacts you are the words that they say, you know, like I will get better from this or, you gave us hope and or hope is so important, but oftentimes it's in their actions. Um, you know, I can, um, I can remember when I was in practice at, uh, at Birmingham, uh, a boy brought in by his father. Um, he literally walked into the ER 
holding him in his lap or holding him in his arms. And he had been um, racing dirt bikes and he went over a jump and uh, his helmet unsnapped and popped off and the handlebar dug through one side of his head. And I remember they, the nurses took the child and began to prep him and we knew we needed to get him to surgery. And uh, just, I remember the dad kind of had a grizzled kind of uh, goatee, slightly dusty um, blue jean jacket, a hat that was dusty. And uh, I remember having to take him into the room um, in the emergency room where you have these conversations, you know, there's a plant there, there's a, a light box there to show films. And I remember having to show him the films of, you know, the CT scan, which it was done about the damage that had happened to his son. And, uh, you know, when I introduced myself as a pediatric neurosurgeon, here's this, you know, very kind of country strong man who looks down, you know, when you introduce yourself as who you are and you can see the tears fill his eyes. And then as I look down, I look down on his pant legs and I'm like, there's some blood there, but also there's, there's some gray stuff there too. And it, it turns out it was brain. It was mm -hmm. part of his son's brain was there. And I just remember thinking to myself, this has got to be the most horrific thing this man has ever encountered. And, um, you know, just the opportunity to share that moment with him to say, we've got to get him to the operating room. We, we have to try to save his life. Um, you know, and for him to say he just always loved dirt bike riding. And, you know, for us to, you know, just get him to the OR. And it took several operations to get him back, but we did. And, you know, he ultimately was graduated from high school and went to college and his dad sent me pictures of him. I remember the picture of him as a senior with that senior tux picture, you know, he probably had on shorts, but you can't see it because it's at the top, you know, <laughs> and just uh, watching that, that kind of um, resiliency and that desire to improve. It's remarkable. If I may, I'll tell one more story or another story um, of um, um, Allie Marina who um, basically had a giant blood vessel malformation in the middle of her midbrain, in the middle of her pons, which is part of the brainstem, and it hemorrhaged, and I was called to see her in the ICU. And uh, she kind of had a little bit of weakness in her leg and all of a sudden progressed to being totally out, and she was three at the time, and, um, and um, Allie was as close to death, I think, as her parents had ever seen anybody. And again, I had to introduce myself as a pediatric neurosurgeon, and that's when people, you know, began to become emotional. And I remember them saying, you know, is, is this a tumor? Well, no, it's not a tumor. It's a blood vessel. Well, somebody told me it was a tumor. You know, they're just exhausted. You know, they've just gone through the, just this, you know, the three hours of something they could never imagine. Their whole world just turned upside down. And I remember, you know, talking to them about what it was and how we were going to have to try to see if she would get better and then, see if we were going to take it out because it was in a place that would be difficult to take out. And, and I remember them saying, so she's, she may live. And I remember saying, well, well, she may, but, but she's very sick. And, you know, and it was my turn to kind of rush the words out. Like, like as, as if I didn't kind of get it across how sick she was. And they said, well, you've told us what we need to know. Um, you know, our daughter's a fighter. And then they, you know, turned their back towards me. And so the conversation was done. And basically, ultimately, we took her to the operating room, and we did a very complex operation where we took out this giant um, blood vessel malformation out of the middle of her brain. And it took her some time to recover, um, but she did recover. And then there was the littlest little recurrence. And so I went back and took that out, and then she recovered. And then a little bit later, she developed hydrocephalus, which is where spinal fluid gets backed up in the brain. And 
it can ultimately cause death if not treated. And so we did a procedure to, to, to fix that. And, um, and I remember her mom, Carolyn, I remember talking to Carolyn in clinic, you know, I'm seeing Allie, she's there. She has a little bit of a disconjugate gaze. She has a walker. Uh, but you know, anytime her mom tries to help her do something, she's like, mom, I can do it. And she, you know, wants to go up and get a sticker. And so I'm finished my exam and she kind of rattles out of the room and her, her walker bangs the side of the door and she's just done with, you know, done with it. She wants to get her sticker. And I asked Carolyn, I said, you know, what's it like to see your child, you know, recover over and over again from these things that are so challenging. And she said, Dr. Wellens, you know, this is all she's ever known. You know, she was two and a half when this thing happened. And, you know, we knew her before then. She was always early to walk. She was early to babble. But this is her life. And, um, you know, the resilience that she's shown us has been amazing. And then she said, you know, you gave us something that very first day. And, and I kind of said, you know, I, I felt like I kind of fumbled it all out. She said, you did a little bit. And we kind of laughed about it. But she said, you know, um, don't ever underestimate the power of hope mm. and how hope is so meaningful to people in those times. And you gave us that. And we're very grateful for, for, for that alone in addition to the other part. So one of the many things that's remarkable to me as I think about your life and what you do, I mean, there's obviously the incredible medical skill that you bring, highly trained, highly specialized. It's you also bring compassion and empathy really strong social and emotional intelligence, which a lot of times is not necessarily associated yeah, with many right. in the profession. And then you're you know, a writer and published in the New York Times, have this book out and so forth. What is it about um, your background or who you are that enabled you to sort of meld those three things together? Well, you know, I, I am in a very good situation right now. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when I was asked to, to move up to Vanderbilt, um, uh, my chairman, who I'm vice chair for, uh, but I wasn't vice chair at the time, you know, he basically kind of gave me carte blanche to be able to build a program of substance. And so, you know, I began to you know, like recruit really good people. I mean, I know that you know this as headmaster, you know, of, you know as director of the, you know, Grand Poobah of Macaulay. I mean, it's the people that you work with that make the difference. And uh, I have a nurse practitioner partner who's, I mean, honest to goodnessly, I think she's the best nurse practitioner in the country. Like she's a non-operating neurosurgeon basically. And she moved up from UAB at the same time. And um, the best resident that I ever worked with at UAB joined me. He's a phenomenal surgeon. And then we recruited another amazing pediatric spine surgeon. And then we recruited another amazing pediatric brain tumor surgeon. And so, you know, in the first 10 years of your career, you know, you're doing the hardest cases and you're building up your repertoire. And then when you move into leadership, um, some of that is supplanted. You know, you want these people to be successful. So you work with them to be successful. You partition off part of your practice so that they can have their own fiefdom to be successful in. And then that does allow you to be able to reflect some. And so I do like I do want to take just a second and just say I am so grateful for them because they they are so supportive of me that they've given me this opportunity, even with all the other leadership hats to be able to take some time and reflect. So that's the first thing. Um, but, but to some extent that ties into what, what your question is. And, you know, it's less about, um, you know, everybody likes to have a fancy office, 
but it's less about, you know, if you've got resources, it's less about having a fancy office and more about making sure that you're surrounded by people that make you better. And I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by people who make me better. And that bucket line of people who have impacted me along the way, you know, again, teachers here at Macaulay, you know, again, you know, people that, that were my, you know, professors at Ole Miss all the way through medical school, all the way through residency, all the way through my being an attending surgeon at UAB and now Vanderbilt. I can just, there's this long line of people, like a bucket line that have handed me off from one person to the next. And, and it makes me think that we have a responsibility, not just to others like us, but maybe to people of diverse backgrounds who haven't quite had that opportunity, right? And so, um, you know, again, I'm surrounded. My I've been fortunate enough to surround my people to surround myself by people who also think like that, and maybe they've influenced me to think a little yeah. bit more about that. To the extent I'm sure there's some Macaulay students and young alums who are thinking about a career in the medical field and particularly in you know, even possibly pediatric neurology and neurosurgery and so forth. So to those students and students beyond Macaulay, of course, what advice would you give to them? And how should they think about the idea of entering this field? Yeah, well, it's a lot more, um, what's the right word? It's a lot more uh, enterable. It's a lot more achievable than, you know, I can, what, when, what people used to think, you know, um, I talk about a little bit of the book, you know, when, when I, I loved cardiology, I loved listening to the heart. I loved being able to, at the time, I loved to be able to diagnose murmurs and all those things. But, um, I really was called into neurosurgery, but people would say, why do you want to do that field? You know, everybody, everybody dies. Um, you know, and well, it turns out everybody does die, but just, you know, <laughs> but just not at that moment. But, um, but, uh, you know, they're all bitter. Um, and, that's just not the case. Um, you know, I think that um, I would tell people to, if there's anything you have an inkling in, you know, people are for the most part accessible now and can have a conversation in their office about it or can have an opportunity to, to figure out how to do clinical research in some way uh, for a summer or, or, or just put your toe in it. You put your toe in it and see what it's like to be a primary care doctor. And if, and if that bug of helping other people or, you know, being a part of, 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 a, of a kind of an establishment that that's main priority should be to help others, you know, then let that grow. You know, spend some time in the summers in college, you know, working as a pushing gurneys in a hospital. Um, but I would also tell them, you know, similar to the chapel talk today, you know, live into the moment too. Enjoy your life where you are. And also recognize that um, it's not just about being a medical genetics um, major in college. You know, it, try to balance it. You know, if there's if you like philosophy, then take some philosophy. Get a minor. If you like religion, get that. If you like English, you can do that as a minor, or you can do that as a major and get chemistry as a minor. There's there's lots of things like people are realizing and have realized in medical education that. Um, that the ability to communicate with people is incredibly important. And, you know, to answer your question a little bit earlier too, I think, um, you know, I think I was fortunate to have a family that were good communicators. And I think that people like that, when they go into medicine, 
I think they self-select. You know, I'm so grateful for James Crow, who was the um, virologist at Vanderbilt, who you know helped work on a vaccine for COVID for you know for Moderna. I mean, it's amazing that he does that work. Um, but it's also important to sit with people and tell them that they have diabetes and, you know, break that news to them and tell them what that means and, and then give them a plan because there is peace that comes with a plan. And so there's, there's room for all kinds of people in medicine. I guess that's what I'm saying. And what's next for you? Well, that's the big question. Lee. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was supposed to be the conversation over dinner last night. Um, um, I, um, you know, I definitely, um, I love what I do. I love having the opportunity to help people. I love the fact that um, we've got um, this division of pediatric neurosurgery in this department that's, that's, that's doing well and taking good care of people and being impactful. I'm very grateful for the book. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, there's no way I can say that writing is not going to be a part of my future moving forward. I just have to decide which there's there's hats you have to remove in order to put other hats on right i mean you know this too and so i feel like that um that there'll be more writing in my future and um and we'll go from there well we'll look forward to seeing what's next for you and and on behalf of macaulay school jay we're so proud of you grateful for the profound impact that you've had on so many people in a way to heal them to inspire them to teach them to lead them um, you're an alumnus that we're very, very proud of. The book, All That Moves Us, A Pediatric Neurosurgeon, His Young Patients, and Their Stories of Grace and Resilience. Dr. Jay Wellens, Macaulay, class of 87. It's been great being with you here at Macaulay. Welcome home. Thank you, Lee. It's been terrific. listening to Stories from the Ridge, a podcast series about the happenings of the faculty, students, and alumni of Macaulay School. Stories from the Ridge is produced by the Macaulay Communications Department. If you have any comments or if you have a suggestion for a future podcast, please let us know by sending us an email to info at macaulay.org. That's info at macaulay.org. Or call us at 423-493-5615. I'm Rebecca Kidd with Macaulay's Communications Department. Thanks for listening.